I'm your host, Anand, and today we're lucky to have Nushin Hashemi, the CEO and co-founder of January AI, join us again. In our last episode, we heard about her incredible DWDG journey as an investor and founder. Today, we'll explore further how January AI does well by doing good with their latest product, Edens, and how it supplements virtual CGM to provide a holistic solution for those that need it most. All right, welcome back to the show, Nushin. Thank you so much for having me, Anand. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're back. I thought we could get right into it. What is the mission and vision of your company, January AI? Thanks, Anand. Our mission is to grow the world's health span. I hope most people are familiar with the word health span. It's not about just long life, but how you feel during that long life. Our vision is to prevent lifestyle chronic diseases for a billion people. I say a billion people because clearly in the United States, we have a huge problem with chronic conditions, lifestyle chronic conditions. 60% of U.S. adults have one chronic condition and 42% of them have more, two or more and 5% of them have five or more. We learned through COVID that you can die. You don't know that you have an underlying chronic condition. So it's pretty, pretty serious. While these numbers aren't exactly the same globally, they do hold true for a lot of countries. Obesity, for example, is on the rise in every country in the world. We know that obesity leads to other chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. So as we look out to like 2050, we're going to be looking at 10 billion people on the planet. No seafood in the ocean. We're going to have to fight to get fresh water. Water is going to be scarce. And there will be hundreds of millions of people that are climate refugees. So not exactly the most stable days in front of us. So we feel that the best way to help people during these turbulent times, we're asking ourselves, what is the best way to help people during these really turbulent times? Is it education? Is it vocational education? Is it mental health? Is it financial literacy? Is it a more competent and efficient government? The answer is yes to all of those things. All of those, but we think one of the really core core tenets of security and and confidence in this turbulent world is really health and becoming healthy. So, you know, how do we get people to be more healthy? We think that the first question people ask themselves is, should we just throw more money at this? Is this, you know, what if we spent more? Well, we already spent a huge amount of money in the United States. In the next 10 years, we're going to use, we're going to spend $40 trillion on healthcare. $40 trillion. 90% of that money goes to chronic conditions and mental health. Stanford's professor Ken Trollman has shown that the cost, just the administrative cost of healthcare in the U.S. is astronomical. Mm-hmm. It's something like $124 to $215 per patient, wow. um, per patient procedure. Yes, you're chuckling. Exactly. Oh <laughs> Not including the cost of the procedure itself. So in Canada, these costs, for example, are $6 per procedure. And in the Netherlands, they cost like $30. So we think that we are already throwing just a tremendous amount of money at this. And we can't get people healthier by just throwing more money at it. We know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. So then how do we increase their health span? How do we, how do we solve for this? So, exactly. And I think, yeah, so I think we do this by 
helping people on board to their own health journey by providing kind of means of experiential learning so they can become more aware of themselves and dial their lifestyle, helping them gain more agency to navigate their own health through this very complex and expensive healthcare system by, you know, having the knowledge and the confidence to ask the right questions and self-advocate by helping them see progress and celebrate their wins to be there with them. That's what AI can do. They can be right there in your longitudinal data and saying, oh, there's, there's a blip there. You should be aware or good for you. You made a change. You made a positive change and celebrate small wins. And by encouraging them to really become the best versions of themselves, no one else can do that for them. I, I think that, you know, this is a radically different approach than the, than the current standard of care. Completely. Yeah. And I, I think you talked about a few things there. You have this virtual CGM product, and then you also have a new product, which is Eden, which is also a number of supplements that that folks can take, kind of manage their health better. How do you see those two playing together and how do they work to achieve this mission of helping all patients, helping them through their chronic diseases? Sure. So we'll go one by one. So basically the AI, so this is something we've been working on for five years. As as you recall, Anand, we were in stealth mode for three years, just doing research and then put out our first poster at the ADA. And then we've been improving the AI ever since. We've re- rewritten almost everything. And we're very proud of our predictive ability. So what our prediction does, uh, essentially the current prediction models can predict half an hour into the future while you're wearing your CGM, not for any particular food, meaning they don't, they're not trained on food. Our AI is, it predicts hours into the future. It has been trained on food, so it can recognize whether you're having an apple or a donut. It can predict when your CGM is not on you, is not on you. So basically with January, you connect yourself to a continuous glucose monitor, a CGM, and a heartbeat monitor, an HRM, your favorite one. And you... So you can do either one or you can do... No, no, no. You need both. You need both. You can do both. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, the model's built, been built with both. We need a CGM and a heart rate monitor, both. Got it. So you hook those up and you meticulously log your food for four days. And after four days of training, we're able to predict your glycemic response to any of the foods in our 32 million strong food atlas without you having to eat that food to see how you're doing. So what this enables is mindful eating. You're able to decide before you eat something or how much of something to eat. You can see, you know, we don't believe in deprivation and and do not eat this, do not touch this. No, no, you know, no, 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 no. We believe in figure out what works for you, figure out how much of it works for you, figure out what combination works for you and go through that experiment. You can do it fairly easily with January. So you're able to make better decisions at the grocery store. You can literally just scan your food, all the packages and get a predictive curve for how you will do on that food. Mm-hmm. You can also do that for in a restaurant. If you're sitting at Cheesecake Factory and you want to know how you will do on something or Chipotle, you can do the same thing. You can also do that if you're going to cook at home and we have millions of recipes that you can check. Oh, wow. And you can also enter your recipe. If none of those recipes are, are the right ones and you eat something very, very unique, you can also enter that recipe and see how you're going to react to it. So we think this is a really powerful tool. And the cool thing is that 
you know, we think CGMs are an extraordinarily revolutionary product. They are really magical. They are so informative. They are so good in closing the human behavior loop, but they're expensive and not everybody can afford them. So we feel like if we can get you to try one once, If you can try it at least once, we feel that you will get tremendous amount of education out of it. You know, 30 million people took a GWAS, you know, took a genetics test from Mm -hmm. 23andMe and and Ancestry and other people. Why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we take, go through this kind of really interesting learning journey where you can sort of self-reflect based on the information that you, that you learn? And then from then on, once we've built a biological model of you, you can take that information to the grocery store, to the restaurant, to your kitchen, and use it effectively for mindful eating. And you can then use CGMs intermittently. You can use it, you know, once a quarter. Or if you have prediabetes, maybe a couple times a year would be really nice. So also we can do lots of things with this technology in terms of tracking your fasting period versus your eating at increasing your fasting. We can we can track how much fiber you're eating, which is such a critical factor in nutrition and get you to eat more fiber. We can look at the number of calories you should really be warranted given your level of activity on a particular day, dynamically changing to see, you know, how many calories you should really have for how how active you are. Mm. And so we also look at, you know, movement before and after meals. And so is that that tracked, is that tracked by the phone or is that tracked? How do you track the movement? Activity. Yeah. Yeah. It comes from, if you're wearing an Apple watch, it comes directly from watch. It comes as a, you know, passive calories come through, active calories come through, come through. So we now people, users were asking us, Hey, give me some credit for just standing. (laughs) At my desk, or I'm gardening, or give me give me some credit. It can't just be workout. So we added that. So now you can get yeah, you can get passive calories as well. Yeah. So 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 the beauty of this is that you know again instead of you know a small group of people that are wealthy being able to wear a CGM every month, mm-hmm. um, why don't we get millions of people? trying the CGM at least once. And then with virtual CGM, being able to use their data that they have painfully you know, paid for and invested in, take that data and then use it in everyday life to, to figure out how to eat in a more healthy way. So that's on the AI side. We are very excited about increasing access and really enabling health equity, which is so crucial to the mission of our company. In terms of Edens, if you... When we look at these lifestyle-based chronic diseases, food plays an outsized role. Activity, of course, plays an incredible role, but so does food. And we have, as a population, we've done great tracking activity. You know, we're all, you know, 15 years ago, Fitbit, 10,000 steps. I think everybody understands you need to move. You need to stand. You can't sit all the time. But Food has been left alone a little bit. Like we don't touch that. It's like it's safer. <laughs> we shouldn't talk about. We, yeah. People think, oh, we should. We're shaming people. Which is I mean, exactly- personally, personally too. I I can't imagine. Like even the last time I've thought about diet versus exercise. So exercise is something that you know we're we're trained to kind of think about a lot, I think, in today's society. But we, I think diet is something we don't think about until it's too late, right? Later on, we're like, oh, 
yeah, maybe diet is something I should look at if my blood sugar is too high or if, you know, I have like a high cholesterol or maybe I have some something else going on and the doctor tells me that. But preventative health has to start early. So yeah, it's a really good point. It's so true. And I think sometimes we're eating food just for, well, most of the time people are eating food to to be satisfied, to indulge, to to feed themselves, to feel, you know, satiated. It's kind of more of a, you know, don't touch my food. That's like sacred. I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat. I've earned it. I need it. And I think one of the best ways, best things you can do for improving insulin sensitivity is not eat at all, is to fast, actually. It's, it's no, no food. So I think we have to open our eyes to, I think Noom has done a good job getting people to understand, you know, fuel food, fog food, and fun food. Mm-hmm. You know, fun food is something you eat in a celebratory way from time to time. Fog food is what you're eating when you're not thinking, you're just munching on those cheeses. And <laughs> fuel food is the food that your body really needs. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are not thinking fuel food as they're eating. So we are we strongly believe in the power of food as medicine. We strongly believe that food is the medicine that you eat, you know, five or six times a day. And what you eat is critically important. So with the AI, we try to dial that. We try to show you these are your spiking foods. Mm-hmm. And this is how you can hack your spiking food. You can eat less of it. You can mm-hmm. replace it. We show you alternatives, for example. So you can eat other things instead. So we are going for foods that have more fiber, less total carbs, less saturated fat, and more protein. And in the future, we'll let people choose kind of what they're optimizing for. So they can say, show me a healthy food based on this criteria in this order. So yeah, because that's that's what we use ourselves. We have our, our own healthiness mechanism. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so Eden's, so we felt that the AI can dial your regular, you know, everyday foods, but will you get everything you need from your everyday foods? And, and we feel that you will not. So mm-hmm. Americans are getting about 15 grams of fiber a day on average. Mm-hmm. And recommended amount in literature is about 20 grams for women and 30 grams for men. And mm-hmm. we're not getting anything near that. And this is causing a lot of inflammation in our, in our health, in our bodies, and in in uh, in our in our public health and we you know chronic conditions are one of the outcomes of this sort of chronic inflammation right so the question and a lot of diseases that we're picking up as well especially because the overuse of antibiotics has really like shot our our, our basically our gut microbiome so mm-hmm. for as many years as we've been working on the ai we've been working on this supplement called edens and we, we set up our own wet lab. We have our own proprietary assays. We went through many, 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 many prebiotics. We think we, we've done the most comprehensive study of prebiotics for cardiometabolic and immune health out there. And so we are very proud of our science and we're very proud of the work that we've done. And it's shown that it can, it can definitely balance your blood sugar, mm-hmm. improve your blood sugar in a, in a big way, improve your oral glucose tolerance um, test so it can definitely improve improve that and it improves a number of the markers you guys should look at edenscotthealth.com mm-hmm. and take a look at our, our science there and soon we'll put up a bunch of papers 
that people can look at backing up both the ingredients as well as just just the science that we've been following and reproducing in the mm -hmm. lab. How do you so, think, how yeah. does, I'm curious actually, because you mentioned about health equity in the, I think earlier in our, in our conversation. And I'm curious about how you think, because, you know, social determinants of health oftentimes do include food, do include, you know, how people might be or what access they might have to food. And, you know, you mentioned it pretty well that, hey, as an American, regardless, frankly, you don't have a good balance. And so Eden's is a way, it sounds like, to help with that, to help fill in that gap. How do you think about that and health equity as well? And how do you how do you bridge those? Yeah, so one of the things we learned in the very first study that we did, which was called the Sugar Challenge, uh, 22 people, we published that in diabetes therapy. We showed that the lower your income level, the less fiber you were getting in your diet. It's really astonishing. You know, Eden's would be expensive to give one bag of Eden's per month to every American, but as you can see every day, we're encouraging people to eat more fruits and vegetables, to eat more whole foods, to cook more, mm -hmm. and to eat less packaged foods because packaged foods are void of fibers in general. But I think that the issue that you're raising is really a much, much bigger structural problem. We think that big food needs to commit itself to health. It needs to commit itself. You know, the really interesting thing we can do with our AI, with our digital twins, is we can feed... SKUs from various food companies to these digital twins. So we yeah. have we have diabetes digital twins, we have pre-diabetes digital twins, of course we have healthy digital twins, and you can get a cohort of let's say 40 people with diabetes, digital mm -hmm. twins, on a fasting stomach, trying all the foods, you know, a bunch of foods that Pepsi makes. And mm -hmm. we did that, for example. Mm -hmm. We did that. We took 15 SKUs and we put them through these 40 digital twins. And we would love to have a conversation with Pepsi about what we found. But we feel that there are probably some foods that can already be supportive of, of metabolic health. We think that some foods need to really be changed to not make you sicker, as in, in essence. And then we think there's opportunity to develop foods that are supportive of metabolic health by reducing some of the certainly reducing some of the sugar, but also not just that. I think the entire system, food making system in the world, remember Nestle is the largest company in Europe. So food companies are meant to make food that's cheap and delicious mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways addictive. So the bliss point is meant exactly for this. Just put mm -hmm. just the right amount of sugar, fat and salt to want to make you come back for more and not feel satisfied. So I think when it comes to health equity, I feel strongly that big food can play a huge role and it needs to rethink some of the ways that it makes food. And of course, the other big, big lever is government. Government can play a huge role. If you can imagine the food assistance programs, the school lunches that the government has control over, and so many other ways, the subsidies that are given to farmers that make certain commodities extremely cheap mm -hmm. and overused in yeah. these packaged foods like high fructose corn syrup. You know, these are all actions. These are, we literally are killing ourselves, mm -hmm. literally. Yeah. 
Totally. So I think that the structure, so yes, the Edens is fantastic for those people who can afford Edens. It has a, a, the highest quality products you can buy on planet Earth. They're natural ingredients, but they are the best. We spared no detail, no, mm-hmm. we, we, it's the best you can get, the very, yeah. very best. But I think structurally, we need to address social determinants of health. And one of those is the packaged foods that people are eating. It's the food that they're getting through programs and the incentives that we are giving to people to eat bad food. So, yeah, that's a really great point. And yeah, structural issues are probably the core of this problem. I think you mentioned a couple of really cool points around the data that you're collecting and just the understanding it turns out that you know there is a wide group of people that consume unhealthy foods and you know that is probably one one constant that is across multiple cohorts and so as you collect this data around different SKUs, around different food that may or may not be helping people that are on your platform it sounds like january ai can also at some point play um, an advocacy role Uh, whether it's talking directly to those food companies, whether it's talking to government officials, sharing this data that that you might have, you know, through papers or other means to then hopefully change that and push that in the right direction. Absolutely. That is 100% our goal. We have done some support and I personally have as a philanthropist Mm -hmm. supported programs at Tufts School of Nutrition, Friedman School of Nutrition. It recently put together the White House Conference on nutrition Mm -hmm. and it helped bring it together and convene it. And so I 100% believe that that government has a big role to play. Believe me, government is bigger than any other Mm -hmm. company. It's bigger than any philanthropy. Government is bigger than anything. Government, government's role is outsized. It's just huge. So the importance of good policy is not to be overlooked. It's Mm -hmm. critically important. And unfortunately, we don't really hold the government accountable today for a lot of policies that affect food and food systems and food subsidies and cost of food and mm-hmm. the food that is fed to the population and the coupons that we get and everything else. And so there's a lot of room for improvement there. I'm really excited to partner with food companies yeah. to get them to develop healthier foods. We're super mm-hmm. excited and and also excited to you know advise government in terms of in terms of the addressing the structural problems that are that is making us sick, we can't pay four trillion dollars a year. You know, it's forty trillion dollars in a decade. You know, it's just astonishing numbers just for healthcare. Well, and and there's inflation, so it, it's yeah. worse. <laughs> yes, it is. It's truly worse. It was only three point three trillion, you know, a few years ago, and now yeah. we're talking about four trillion a year. Wow. And then, you know, soon I've heard actually someone say 4.3 trillion. I was like, wait, I haven't verified that number yet. But as someone who believes in small government, that just freaks me out really yeah. in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. The government is definitely a, it can be a force for a lot of good, but it can also be with the wrong incentives. It can be a force for a lot of bad. And I think you hit the nail on the head where, you know, food companies for years have been optimizing for what most companies do, which is profit. And the best way that they saw for people to profit was adding the right amounts of fat, sugar, and oil or whatever it is in order to one, bring people back. And I think to make it taste good. And 
I think if you're not optimizing for that third piece, which is healthiness, certainly there's companies now that are looking at that. And, you know, I think a lot of these businesses maybe now have like two sides of their business, you know, the parts that's maybe not healthy and then they try to add the healthy part as well. But it does feel like on the whole are the large companies, especially the big conglomerates, because there's a lot of large food conglomerates that, you know, are they are they making a net positive or net negative? And, you know, I think without government either enforcing it. And it's the same thing that's happening in the tech industry, right? I mean, people are saying we need to regulate things like Facebook. We need to regulate things like Twitter. I think that's that's sort of the same concept where, yeah, we have been regulating food, but maybe not in the best way possible. We make it safe, right? It's You can eat it, but what does safe mean? And I think our bar is pretty low for that. Right. You're not, you're not vomiting, but you are getting sick all the time. So yeah. it's... Uh, it's definitely, it's something I think about all the time. And mm-hmm. I think I, I don't like leaving the structure wrong. And I keep telling people, don't eat sugar. Why are you eating sugar? Stop eating sugar. Why are you eating this stuff? <laughs> it's, it's very, very odd. And, you know, we are a product of the systems that we live in. It's right. the system that's wrong that, you know, in which we kind of behave this way. And so I think... I'm an absolute believer in in the power of uh, personal will, 100%, and personal responsibility as a libertarian, 100%. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you put Cheez-Its in front of me, um, I mean, today, for example, my husband wanted to surprise me, and he went to a local mall, and there's a new uh, Japanese cheesecake store, uh-huh. and he bought a Japanese cheesecake. He knows how much I love how fluffy um, Japanese cheesecake is. Oh, those are amazing, yep. Yes. So he bought a, a Japanese cheesecake and brought it in. And I had a slice after lunch very gratefully. And I realized I, you know, and I, I, so I had a little bit more and it took me about five minutes to figure out, oh my God, this isn't, sh- this is not sweet enough. I'm going to keep wanting to eat more of this because it's just <laughs> fatty and it's soft and you kind of, so I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I could eat half of this cheesecake right now because it's not satisfying me. And the reason it's not satisfying me because it doesn't have enough sugar. And I thought, I'm going to put this down right now because this is not going in a good direction. But I've been trained after so many years of thinking about these things and recognize what I'm sticking in my mouth. You know, maybe two years ago or five years ago, I could have eaten half of that cake. But now I realize, uh uh-huh, this is what's happening. But the average, you know, person who's not spending their life thinking about this. It's not catching that. Oh, I'm definitely not catching it. I mean, there's times where I'm like eating, eating things and I just keep eating it. And I I forget, you know, there's, we have like these macaroons right now and they're so good. I can't stop eating them. What what are you going to do? Take some Edens because what Edens does mechanistically, Mm. it essentially, when you take Edens, you're producing short chain fatty acids. They Mm -hmm. increase secretion of GLP-1 and PYY. Mm-hmm. And so what, you know, what PYY does, it's basically a hormone that's made in the small intestine. It mm-hmm. just, it helps you reduce your appetite. It just, you just don't want to eat more. It right. just reduces your appetite. And GLP-1, essentially, it helps with weight loss by kind of also improving appetite and, and you know, satiety. It stimulates the secretion of insulin, which helps you kind of meet up with the with the glucose levels in your body. Mm-hmm. So you've seen a lot of GLP-1 products out there right now for weight loss. 
So you can do this naturally. So when you think, yes, so could I be in a drug company? I could, but I've chosen to be um, doing research on prebiotics, which are natural fibers and polyphenols and, and probiotics to get people to a healthy place yeah. without all the side effects. Because, you know, some people say, well, metformin is super cheap. Who cares? Just take it. <laughs> it's a magical drug. Yeah, but these things have side effects. They're, they're cheap in price, maybe, but they're not cheap in general in terms of... Um, all natural is always better. I, and I think that it's it's hard, right? Because it's kind of the, I mean, the, the analogy I would give is, you know, in the climate space, we say, hey, we have global warming coming up. How are we going to address it? Well, one is we need to reduce emissions. It turns out that that actually could help quite a bit. The other alternative is saying, hey, we need to reverse emissions and we need to extract all of the carbon from the atmosphere. Both of those need to be done for sure. But I think the the challenge is, you know, you can say sort of a similar thing for, you know, but then you could argue that maybe the drug company is similar to somebody saying, hey, I want to take carbon out of the air because what they're saying is, oh, we've already got, you know, we've gotten here. So, you know, we've created this amazing drug, metformin, which will allow you to feel better, you'll feel great. And it will, you know, really kind of without you having to do that much and changing habits is the hardest thing. I mean, there's no doubt about that. So they say, hey, now that we're in this situation, here's what you can use to alleviate the situation. And similarly, like you could do the same for climate, but is that necessarily the right approach? Or should we come back to the first principles and say, maybe we could be all naturally adjusting the way we emit carbon or the way that we eat on a daily basis? And that's, I feel the that's the way. That's the key. What are we doing on a day in and day out basis? Exactly. And certainly when you're thinking about prevention, do you want to take a drug as prevention or do you want to take some other way to prevention? I understand if you actually are sick, you must, you need medications to, to alleviate your, your illness. But right. if you're not sick yet and you're trying not to get sick, is it better to eat more fiber every day huh. or wait till you're sick and take pills all the time? Or should you just pop metformin? Because metformin right. is referred to, especially by the, by the sort of the, I don't know what to call them. I won't call them anything. By some group of people, wealthy people, they feel like, yeah, just take, take metformin. It reduces. Yeah reduces morbidity by X percentage. It's it's a magical drug. It's like yeah. no problem. And you ask them, well, does it make you feel nauseous or make you feel sick? No, 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 it doesn't. You know, it's like, okay, great. But I think in general, our current standard of care is just not set up to to help us not get sick, which is the mission of January, is, is yeah. to keep, keep hundreds of millions of people from getting lifestyle chronic diseases. So. The well-meaning doctor right now doesn't necessarily have the education or the time or the incentives to focus on prevention. They really don't have any of these things. So they are focused on like, what's wrong? Is there something wrong? And what pill can I give you? Or what, what, what procedure can I create to make you feel better? Mm-hmm. And that is not helping us. We're getting sicker. When I started this work with Mike Snyder, we talked about 88 million people. Having prediabetes, now 96 million people have prediabetes in, mm. in four and a half years. Yeah. So that's insane. That's yeah. 8 million more people now have mm. prediabetes. And do you think that was because COVID or do you think? No, you, do you think uh, well, just, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so because I think it was already growing. I see. Rapidly. 
before COVID. And we now, we used to talk about 34 million people having diabetes. They now, 37 and a half million people have diabetes. By the way, 22% of them remain undiagnosed. 90% of people with prediabetes remain undiagnosed. The only reason, I mean, the only screening that we do in our standard of care is if you're over 40 and you're obese and if there's something wrong, otherwise you're just you're just not being screened. So I think people, this is, what, this is why I'm so passionate about people taking charge of their own health. Let's mm-hmm. find out. Am I spiking a lot? You know, a CGM costs 70 bucks. If you want a service like January that adds all of those other things to it, the prediction mm-hmm. model, the fasting, the calorie restriction, figuring out how many calories you should have, how much fiber you're having, mm-hmm. your macros, everything else. You know, you're, you're, you spend 200 $88 for your first month. And after that, it's a few dollars a month to keep using the app. No CGM needed. So I think it's a very small amount to pay to keep yourself healthy, to basically learn where you are, mm-hmm. where you stand, how much are you spiking. Mike Snyder showed that people with totally healthy A1Cs mm-hmm. had huge and regular blood sugar spikes after a certain age, after 40, and then after 50, a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. So we definitely think, you know, with, especially with the aging population, it's a very small thing that people can do to keep themselves uh, aware and mm-hmm. tuned in to their own kind of health situation because docs are going to do it for you. How do you think about the kind of habit change? I'm I'm thinking about this. I mean, as you've been talking about it, certainly, and we talked last time as well about the benefits of virtual CGM. Uh, you know, I'm in my 30s now, and so I think about more of these things, certainly. And I feel like, you know, I am sort of regularly changing my habits, testing things out, experimenting. But I feel that habit change regardless, and certainly for me, it's become harder as you get older. And so the question is, if, you know, and this is kind of the hard part, which is, it sounds like over 40, over 50 is when you might be more concerned about these chronic conditions, but also changing habits might be difficult. So I'm wondering if, in your experience with customers, how have you found the habit change process or how have you found it either difficult or easy? Curious how that's been. Yeah, I can tell you how it's been for users and also just for me personally. I think the current system is very defeatist, which is people won't change. They don't care. We're a pill culture. People want the easy way. They'll just want the pill. They want to eat that burger and throw that pill. And that people can't keep too many things in their head. If you tell them to reduce their cholesterol and their A1C is going to totally confuse them, give them one thing to do, tell them to lose weight. I think I find the entire system extremely negative, extremely defeatist, mm-hmm. basically assumes we have no agency, that we have no ability to change, that we don't want to change, that we're just lost causes. It's super defeatist. And I think where I come from is get, get people small doses of suggestions on how what they can change like small steps one small step one small step and and celebrate that win and encourage them to take the next step and this is what the literature tells you this is all the books tell you to do this this is what cognitive behavior therapy is about Mm -hmm. and this is about taking that first step and as a good friend told me you know when you are faced with two choices vote for nusheen because i would always Mm -hmm. 
for my work. I would always, I still look for my work. Let's not be a hypocrite if I told you I don't focus on my work more than anything else. But <laughs> I have improved though. I, there was a time where I could never move from my desk to floss my teeth or, you know, now I, now at least I'm very happy that my, my basic rudiments get done. I'm very happy about that. But I know how you feel. I feel I, I that happens to me a lot. So I, Definitely understand the the plight. Yes, like early days of COVID, it was fourteen hours of Zoom, you know, and then yeah. and then we dialed it, we figured it out. So yeah, so I think small steps, celebrate mm-hmm. those steps, do them in a community, do them with other people who hold you accountable and who are watching. Let the AI be your friend; they can tell you, ah, oh, you know, like. I was watching just in the last two days my fasting. It just turned out that I was at JP Morgan and I yeah. ended up eating dinner very early on Wednesday, like at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And by Thursday morning, I had already fasted 16 hours and I was so happy. And I was like, yay, I hit 16. So this morning I was very motivated not to eat again. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, I did it yesterday. I could, But I can see that it's tracking for me how much I was fasting. It told me actually my last meal sleep gap was four hours on Wednesday, which was great. Uh, last night it was only two hours. That's not great because I was working till yeah. 7 p.m. So by the time I got home at 8, went to bed, I only had two hours in between. So right. so I, when you track these things, I think once you get some feedback and you're like, uh-huh, what I need to do, you know, because and not all healthy people share the same habits. You know, there's just a few things you could do. Totally. If you don't eat all the way until you sleep, <laughs> like mm-hmm. if you have a three-hour gap between your last meal and sleep, if you try to restrict your calories somewhat, like I know for a fact, for my level of activity, I can eat very few calories for my mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. I can only eat about 1,100 calories a day without gaining weight. If I go over that, I'm going to add some weight. So I'm going to have a deficit somewhere else. I've yeah. died this over time. I just know. Totally. So if you can do a little bit of calorie restriction, watch watch over your overall calories for the week. If you can do a little bit of intermittent fasting, you know, maybe, you know, I'm trying not to eat like a few mornings because I, I do like my, my collagen protein shake when I work out, totally, and yeah. when I'm doing strength training. So yes. I think there are a few of these things. And I think if you, if we can slowly get people to try one step at a time, mm-hmm. you know, dial one thing, just like the eating fasting period. I was just talking to uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to one of our scientific, uh, actually machine learning advisory uh, board members. And he told me when he tried the product two years ago, he's a professor at CMU, he lost 20 pounds and he started fasting 16 hours. He's never gained the weight back and he's still fasting 16 hours. That's amazing. So it's like, it's a proof that basically the, the AI, I mean, just the, Regular, and I find that regular pinging too, like if, if you have like something that you can stay accountable to, you have an app, I think that's a huge, huge step in that direction. Right. So look at, you know, Robinhood, except we want to do it in a virtuous cycle. We want to help you. We, we want right. to be assistive technology, not to get you to do crazy things. We want you to do it. Vote for you, you know? <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. faced with two choices. Vote for you. Vote for yourself, do the right thing. So I think, yeah. I think when, when he saw that, uh, because I think the thing with fasting is people don't know if they can do it, if they can last that long. Oh, I'm going right. to die. I'm, 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 I'm not used to this. I'm like, yeah. but yeah, your yeah. blood sugar is totally fine. You know, your exactly. blood sugar is not too low. You're not dropping below seven. You're fine. And you're, you know, you're going to be okay. Even if you drop a little bit under 70, mm-hmm. you go, that's okay. You're, you don't have diabetes, so you're not yeah. going to die. If you have diabetes, it's still, you know, you're good. So yeah. I think 
I think it just gives people confidence. So we're hugely, hugely in favor of using wearables to, to help you dial your lifestyle. As, as you can see, I'm wearing the Aura Ring. I yeah. love wearing the Aura Ring. I was wearing, you know, Fitbit for many years to sleep. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, I got Aura pretty much early days. Yeah, yeah. I love, I, I've been learning about mm -hmm. all the various things that, that I should be tracking. And now I'm in tune with my body and I see if it says that I need, don't push it, I need to not push it. Although I don't have that luxury all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, with the startup lifestyle, not always possible, yeah. But, but yeah, that's but also, I was, uh, I had a day on the slopes and it was saying like, don't push it because I was in oh. high altitude and yeah. my, my resting heart rate was too high. <laughs> and was like, don't push it. And I was like, dude, I'm so going to push it today, but that's Monday. But in general, I listened to it. But it's about the day to day. And I think you said it best where it's like about the average. And I feel like, you know, you're always going to have these like one off days. But, you know, I, I we talked about so many great topics today. So I, I thought one, you know, we talked about doing good. We talked about, uh, you know, how you're how you're addressing the market. Uh, one thing I know last time we talked, you said something to the effect of, you know, we're a startup when, <laughs> when I asked about business model. And so uh, I wanted to kind of revisit that question and see, you know, you're still a startup, I'm sure. But uh, yes. the question is, how have you thought about the business model and, you know, using Eden and virtual CGM together, maybe? Um, sure. How do you think about uh, do, uh, doing all these things you said, you know, becoming a larger company, advocating for the patients with food companies, with the government. How do you grow that business so that you can do more of that? Absolutely. So on Eden's, it went on sale in middle of November. It's mm -hmm. doing well. People like it. It has high ratings. It's, I think this is a moment people are, symbiotics are really big. People mm -hmm. are waking up to the power of your gut, having such a huge impact on your health. You know, the gut immunity access, the gut brain access. I think this is the moment really for this prebiotic product, prebiotic, probiotic, polyphenol product. So it's doing very well and it is a subscription product. So cool. hopefully it will also do well, not just do good mm -hmm. totally. by keeping uh, chronic conditions away. Um, on the AI side, we spent better part of 2022 designing and developing a new app from scratch. So we had our, we sunsetted our V1 app which had great clinical outcomes, hugely wonderful clinical outcomes in terms of weight loss, in terms of people eating fewer calories, more carbs, uh, sorry, fewer, fewer carbs, more protein, more fiber, and losing weight. But people didn't love the user experience. So we rewrote the app from scratch in okay. iOS, and it's uh, now in beta. And mm -hmm. we, are, we have started selling that product. So come and use the V2 of January app. It has a bunch of new bells and whistles. It doesn't have some of the programming that the V1 had, but it will. we will add programming in a more flexible way. Mm -hmm. We wanted to get a minimum lovable product out there to people that they could use the AI and have a, you know, have a great time using the AI and while we build some of the uh, programming back in a more flexible way. So we're very excited about that. That's, that product's also doing well. And we are excited about getting more users on it and dialing that beta and eventually putting it out for general release. We just keep adding great quality people to the company who are going to be working on design, user experience. Our goal is to go from direct to consumer. We will probably see us in B2B 
in a number of different ways that we're working on right now. And I'd love to come back and report on that in the future. But at this moment, we think that the direct relationship with the consumer is critically important for dialing your products and then taking it to, to other markets. But B2B is very much a focus for us. Cool. Wow. That's, uh, that's great. So definitely doing well and doing good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again. Uh, we really enjoyed it. And I'm sure everybody else will as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Anna, for hosting me. Bye. Thanks. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. You can find more information about January AI, their mission, and the latest virtual CGM and Eden's products in the show notes. And for the latest updates about DWDG podcasts and posts, subscribe to our newsletter at dwdg.substack.com or click subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Catch you on the next one.